0: Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano and this is Sorry Not Sorry, where we tackle social, political, and cultural issues from the perspective of unapologetic guests while highlighting citizen activists doing amazing things throughout the country. years ago, after stories began to break about Harvey Weinstein and the abuse of power by men in my industry, I tweeted, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write me too as a reply to this tweet, which boosted the work of the great Tarana Burke. In the time since then, more and more people have come forward to share their experiences. And finally, we are starting to see some things change. This episode is dedicated to all the survivors of sexual assault, and I hope it will inspire you to either share your own story or just take the time to listen to those who are willing to open up and be vulnerable. I also want to issue a trigger warning because some of these stories may be difficult to hear.
1: Me too. I've been trying to figure out what I was going to say here for months.
0: I am sure you've seen the hashtag Me Too.
1: Hollywood sex abuse scandal growing by
0: allegations the legations against Mogle
2: Sexually harassed. Charlie Rose them. is out at NBC's CBS Matt Lauer News. Lauer has been fired. Bill Cosby, guilty, guilty. Oh guilty. The patriarchy has got
1: to go. It felt like getting my message right in this moment was more important than anything.
2: Mr. Chairman. Ranking member Feinstein, members of, of the, the committee. committee. My name is Anita F. Hill. My name is Christine Blasey Ford. You
0: told the world that time's up
1: on violence. Here we go. Yes means yes and no means no. You told the world that time's up on silence. What the Me Too movement has saying is that women are worthy of
2: being believed.
1: After soldiering through the Supreme Court nomination process, gross mischaracterization, attacks from the White House, and the rallies, internet trolls, and heart wrenching testimonies and marches, I'm faced with my own hard truth. I'm numb.
0: Me, too, made me feel like the internal battle that I had been silently
3: fighting for years was finally coming to light. It felt like a burden was lifted off my shoulders and that I finally had a hand to grab onto and walk with. I knew then that change was coming and that history was being made. My name is Chantal Cousineau. I came forward in October of 2017 to out uh, Predator James Toback Uh, after having worked with him on a movie called Harvard Man. Um, In October of 2017, I came forward with eight women to the LA Times, and within 48 hours of our article coming out, there were over 400. We stopped counting. I came forward after the Harvey Weinstein survivors came forward and thought they were so brave. I thought, Well, if we're addressing this issue, let's talk about James Toback. He's a predator, and I just didn't know how right I was Um, because until then, until Me Too, um, women, men, and children were isolated with their trauma. So this was um, an enlightened moment, uh, a shift in the universe where we were no longer alone, and moreover, we were safer and stronger together. I've been working with SAGAFTRA aftra to um, bring awareness to this issue, um, create prevention measures, provide resources for survivors, and also an education mechanism that can help grow our safety infrastructure. And I'm just, I'm really proud of all of us and our loud ass voices um, getting this work done as fast as it's going. I know it seems slow sometimes, but two years is short when you think of how long uh we have been vulnerable. So uh here's to survivors.
4: My name is Wendy Love Edge, and I am a childhood sexual abuse survivor. Not only did my dad sexually abuse me, but he sold me to his friends outside of my home. They told me they would kill my mother if I told her. It was the 70s and no one was discussing anything like this. Sometimes I was left to wonder why I felt so weak and unable to endure any more pain and abuse. I remember also weeping for other children in the room as I would frequently be in a room with several adult males abusing children and taking photos of us. Years passed, and many of the memories were tucked into my brain. I remained in the victim state and behaving like a victim for many of them. I didn't understand victim behavior, conditioning, or grooming at the time, and the pieces of my life had been strewn like puzzle pieces. Between the years of 30 and 40, I found a non-traditional healer and his wife, who helped me to overcome a lot of the results of this abuse. I was able to put together the puzzle and figure out who my true self was. I began the long journey of understanding everything that happened to me. The journey continues.
0: Okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit, Tony, about how Me Too has shaped and changed your life.
5: So October 15th, 2017, you ask survivors to reply, me too, if they've had a sexual harassment or sexual assault. The next day, October 16th, 2017, I send out a tweet saying that you had magnified a message that was established about 10 years earlier by a woman named Tarana Burke and i'd only heard that name earlier in the day because twitter was a buzz with american women of african ancestry and that name so i looked her up and on her site it said empowerment through empathy and my heart saying mm-hmm. as an empathy coach my heart
1: saying i think the words me too are comforting to people and i've said this before because it can be now particularly because it is a part of um the popular lexicon it's given people language right. and it's given people in some regards shorthand to talk about things or to not talk about things that are deeply uncomfortable for them, um, particularly around sexual violence. So you can say me too now, which was always our goal for people to be able to say me too and leave it at that. You know, That's why we have a period at the end of it. Or to say it and people understand exactly what you mean. I think it gives people the space that they need um, and the cover that they need while they're figuring their way through survival. Um, but it's also a declaration. You know, one of the things that has shifted or that's, um, the ideas have sort of expanded since it went viral is that part of what happened when it went viral is it became a declaration, right, to identify a community. And so I always thought it would be just known amongst survivors that it would be our way of identifying each other mm. and talking to mm. each other and declaring to each other. But it's now an outward declaration, too, right? It says we stand together, we um, we identify with one another, and it immediately says to the person, I think, the in its really, really, really basic sense, and the idea of empowerment through empathy comes from this place which is that in a basic sense, when somebody says Me Too to another survivor, it's the same as saying, I believe you. Yes. Or I see you, you know, and I'm here with you. We can't all be sluts. We can't all be asking for it. I am here to give you permission to be angry.
3: This reality might not have to be our reality anymore. I felt this crushing sense of powerlessness. This is the time to take my power back. Here's my
0: story.
3: I felt it was my duty for the women who are silent to be women brave. Who have
0: worked at the plaza saying it's, it's
3: okay to stand up for yourself.
0: Taylor Swift appearing in court. Today. If only I could save you, help you, remove that weight from your tired shoulders and become the joy of an unburdened you, I would. I also want to talk to you about this this hashtag that was sort of a secondary thought um, that really uh, hit its apex during the Kavanaugh uh, hearing. And it was the hashtag believe women that many people saw as, uh, you know, believe women, um, even if there's no evidence or um, believe women no matter what. Uh, So can you just briefly talk about those words, believe women and the hashtag and what you see them to be and how it's not at the expense of a man's innocence.
1: This notion about believe women has been so controversial. Um, And actually, we don't say believe women. We say believe survivors. It's really important that people recognize that Me Too is not just about women and it's not just about, it's not a woman's movement. Yeah. But saying believe women or believe survivors... Um, is not at the expense of anybody else. It's not to say, believe people, regardless of who says it, without investigation. It's to try to shift away from what was the, the norm before this moment. And the norm before this moment was that when anybody declared or had the wherewithal to stand up and say that this thing happened to them, that they have dealt with sexual violence in some way or even sexual harassment, the, the people start off with the premise that they're lying. Right. Right? They start off from the place of questioning and not believing. And so, if you automatically don't believe them, um then you're not going to investigate further. And you're not going to provide the kind of resources that they need. And so, saying believe women or believe survivors is about starting from the premise that people are not lying and giving these declarations and claims and disclosures the kind of gravity and seriousness that they deserve right believe women in mass when we're saying that this is what our lives are like that this is our lived experience that many of us have had multiple um run-ins with harassment and violence uh, unprovoked and that we all can't be lying when we say this is what our lives are like. So it's not about getting doing away with due process. It's not about we can't even get to due process. If you don't believe it happened, right. then you won't even investigate enough to get to a place where we can look at all the evidence, look at both sides. Right. You have to start off by believing that something happened before you can even um get to the level of investigation. So that's that's where that notion comes from.
3: Honestly, I was furious. I had had a man grope me in front of multiple colleagues, and I was tired of wondering if it was something I wore. I was tired of wondering if it was a vibe I was giving off. And when I talked to other women, they were furious too.
1: I felt that
3: if I can speak out, maybe if I just stand up, Then someone else will stand up with
0: me. From her to and him to, I would remove you from that particular we and lift the hashtag from in front of you and me. Four slashes of one size fits all. It should not fit you. Me too. I am you. Uh, How exactly if if at all, have you seen the language around sexual harassment and violence
1: change uh, since you started working on this years ago? Um, I think that, I don't know that it's changed a whole bunch, to be quite honest. I think that, you know, we've made a shift around using, uh, you know, shifting from victim language to survivor language in some ways. And I think that, you know the last 2 years in particular we've heard people saying things like believe survivors so that's certainly been a shift uh, a huge shift that we didn't see before in the mainstream at least it was sort of it was sort of talked about amongst those of us who do this work but um one of the things that has been super clear to me in this last year is that we need a shift in language and that shift in language will come from a shift in consciousness. And that shift in consciousness will come from more education and outreach in the world so that people really understand the life cycle of a survivor. Right. I think that people still victim blame and use victim blaming kind of language and use disparaging language in relation to survivors of sexual violence because people have a really finite understanding of what, A survivor is supposed to look like. We have new terminology over the last decade in our our lexicon. We talk about rape culture now. We talk about um, patriarchy and privilege and things like that and all of this kind of stuff that helps to create a culture of violence and support a culture of violence. But we certainly need a mainstream shift in language and idea and like thinking.
0: There are so many communities in which uh, harassment and assault are prevalent. Um, so I'm wondering, how do we accelerate bringing these stories to the forefront and ending this violence? So
1: yeah, there are many communities in which harassment and assault are prevalent. I think that I don't know that harassment and assault is any more prevalent in one community than another. I think that I've said this a hundred times. Sexual violence, assault, harassment, those things don't discriminate. There's no one community that's more depraved than another. right? But I think that the response to it differs. And so it's not that, you know, communities of color have more sexual violence. Is that communities of color have less attention to what the, the kind of violence that's happening in our communities. You know, marginalized communities don't have the same elevation and um, amplification of our pain and of our experiences as other communities. Um, If anything, you know, statistically, Indigenous communities have a higher rate of sexual violence that happens, which is steeped in a ton of issues um, that are basically, you know, um, stem from white supremacy. And so that is you know kind of a, a separate issue but it's related to this idea that we need to we need to amplify the stories of people who are pushed to the margins so that so that folks can understand even in the mainstream even if you are white and male and privileged or white and female and privileged in some way people need to understand that amplification of our stories only helps only serves to amplify the issue in general because people need to see a broad picture of the reality of sexual violence. And that it doesn't just, you know, if you only elevate one particular group, then you're only going to speak to the needs of that particular group. And our needs vary. And our our uh, resources vary. And the kinds of resources we need vary. And so we amplify those stories by those of us who have any kind of visibility or any kind of privilege have to use that, use our platforms, use our privilege to amplify the stories that aren't that don't get told, and to keep reiterating the message that all of our pain. Matters. All of our trauma matters. All of these things that happen in our communities matter. And we also have to have some intra-community conversations about why that matters so that when the amplification comes, that there's no resistance to it. The world is a sadly dangerous place for women and girls, and we see that again and again. And I think young women are tired of it. Uh, They're tired of being undervalued. They're tired of being uh, disregarded. They're tired of their voices not being invested in and heard. Part of the problem is that from a young age, girls
0: are taught to stay quiet and be nice, and that boys are stronger and somehow we are less than. That is why it is hard for us to speak out. And even when we do speak out, people don't believe us. But there is power in numbers and good for us, good
1: for everyone speaking
0: out. I want to say thank you for everybody.
1: All across the world where Me Too has taken off, Australia and France, Sweden, China, and now India, survivors of sexual violence are all at once being heard and then vilified.
0: Do you see us? We are here, arm in arm. Whisper your story on the mountain. Their sound shields us all. Yell your story upon deaf ears. Together we fall. If only I could save you. If only I could take it away. If only I could help you. I would cure yesterday. And why is it so important to focus on what happens after Me Too? And what does happen?
1: So it's important to focus on what happens after Me Too, in a sense, people ask this question all the time. So, Me Too is a designation and a declaration. But after you, you know, sort of reveal yourself as a survivor, Me Too only serves to reveal you as a survivor and identify you as a part of a community and give you, you know, and it helps. It's it's like a starting point, Um and so much stuff happens after people disclose me too is essentially disclosure and disclosure is a roller coaster ride for a lot of folks you know i think about the people who said me too or hashtag me too online and then nobody liked their post or nobody commented or they got a lot of backlash or pushback right because people were left exposed um and really uh uncomfortable ways and so the work that we do is focused on it our, our work is not focused on encouraging people to say me too people will come to that in their on their own um, our work is focused on making sure that people know that when they come to that place and they're able to say it and they're able to name themselves and declare it and stand in this number that there are We're waiting for them with the kind of resources they need to figure out how to craft a journey. The Me Too is the start of the journey. And the subsequent Me Too's you hear after that hold you up during the journey. But really, it's about crafting your journey. And a lot of that is figuring out what you need, which is the most difficult part. Because a lot of us need different things at different times. Right. And so it feels like one cancels the other or you don't know what you want or, you know, it invalidates your feelings. But survivors need to know that that is perfectly valid. It's perfectly valid to need one thing this year and need a completely different thing next year. It's perfectly valid to feel like you've advanced in your journey and then all of a sudden you feel like you're back at zero. Right. This is that is all a part of it. And it's all about the the, After Me Too is all about figuring out what those resources are. I mean, what those things you need. And then our job is to help you connect them to resources. And it's also to help do the work of like ending sexual violence. It's not enough. Just like it's not enough to say Me Too and leave it. It's not enough for people to hear Me Too and not do anything about it. Can't watch 12 million people use a hashtag in 24 hours and not feel like it's a sense of urgency around that.
0: How can we make sure everyone feels in their heart, like really feels like their voices and stories will be heard?
1: I don't know that we have to make sure people feel like their voices and stories will be heard. We need to find ways to make sure that they are actually heard. Feeling like your story and your voice will be heard is not helpful. Seeing our stories and our voices amplified in media, in our communities, even, is what is most helpful.
3: After I was assaulted, when I was 19, I changed forever. He did not care how old I was. I was young and innocent, only 17 years
0: old. So it feels like he took a part of me that I can't get back. Brett's assault on me drastically altered my life.
1: Thomas told me graphically of his own sexual
0: prowess. So millions of people have come out posting Me Too. It is not always easy, but we have to do that. And that's why I posted. and I will say it right now out loud, Me Too. Um, It starts with we before all twos. Between we weep, we shake in the same worn shoes. One size fits all of awe and pain one decibel of thunder a lifetime of rain i am you i said i am you i carry your weight we are more than committees those committers of hate i am bonded to you arm in arm until we live in a world with no sexual harm protect us by listening protect us forever because we are here uprising together
1: What's the most rewarding
0: part of the work that
1: you're doing right now? I don't know. It's rewarding in a lot of ways. It's rewarding to me when I have survivors approach me like they do every single day um, to say that this moment in time has changed their lives, to say that they feel free, to say that they now understand that they deserve more than they were allowing themselves to, to have um just to see so many people getting free from the from the burden and the the sort of scourge of sexual violence is so rewarding but also it's rewarding for me to see people starting to believe and speak in a way that makes me know that people believe that we can end sexual violence like I don't think that people are unrealistic and I don't, I try to be incredibly realistic and um, you know, I'm a realist in a lot of ways. I don't, I'm not saying a hashtag is going to save us because a hashtag is just that it's a galvanizing tool and you know, it is a, it is used for amplification, but this movement and this work as it has been for Decades and decades. I don't mean me too. I mean the the movement to end sexual violence for decades and decades has been advancing, and so I'm able to talk about me too because Rosa Parks was talking about Reese Taylor, right? It doesn't. We all build upon the next thing and upon the next thing, but we have to work like we believe that we can end sexual violence, right? Um, I think we have plenty of examples in our in our past. You know, there was a time when people thought it was absurd to think about Black people voting, and there was a time when we did not even talk about things like, like, drunk driving until Mothers Against Drunk Driving made it their mission and amplified the 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 cause to a place where it just became part of our lives. And so, while there's still tons of people who drink and drive, it's nowhere near what it would have been had there not been a an, a, a national push. To shift the culture. And so this push, this work that we're doing right now is super rewarding to me because I know that it is going to go a long way to shift the culture, even beyond when we're here. And it'll be another generation living a different life. And they may not end sexual violence in the next generation either, but they'll be so much more closer or close to it because of the work that we're doing now. So that's probably the most rewarding thing to me.
0: Well, I was so absolutely relieved when I found you. And I know that's a weird word to choose, but there was a part of me that felt like I wasn't going to be able to, um, handle the pressure of this movement alone because it felt so much bigger than I was. And, um, To know that uh, you are there uh, and have been there for 20 years for survivors um, has just, I think, propelled this into a place that uh, there is no going back. So on behalf of my mother who was sexually assaulted, on behalf of of me and the millions of people who have said, me too, thank you so much for the work that you do.
1: In 2006... Twelve years ago, I laid across a mattress on my floor in my one-bedroom apartment, frustrated with all the sexual violence that I saw in my community. I pulled out a piece of paper and I wrote, Me Too, on the top of it. And I proceeded to write out an action plan for building a movement based on empathy between survivors that would help us feel like we can heal, that we weren't the sum total of the things that happened to us. We owe future generations a world free of sexual violence. I believe we can build that world. Do you?
0: Okay, if you aren't incorporating Four Sigmatic into your daily routine, you are missing out. Four Sigmatic is a natural superfood company that specializes in mushroom-based drinks that benefit our immunity, energy, and longevity and help us live healthier lives. They make a wide variety of blends, including mushroom coffee, mushroom elixirs, matcha, superfood blends, and so much more. Why mushrooms? Well, Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee with Lion's Mane promotes productivity, focus, and creativity. And the best part is that it's coffee without the jitters. Lion's mane mushrooms have long been used by the Buddhist monks to help with focus during meditation, and it tastes just like coffee, okay? Not mushrooms, don't worry. (laughs) Just like coffee. So exciting news for you. They are offering my listeners 15% off. All you have to do is go to foursigmatic.com slash sorry. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C. slash sorry for 15% off. You probably know you should be taking vitamins, but with so many options out there, it's tricky to know which ones, what nutrients you need, and how to decide. I mean, women need an effective multivitamin that they can trust. And that's where Ritual comes in. Ritual Essential for Women is the multivitamin reimagined. It's obsessively researched and designed for women by women. Ritual contains nine nutrients that are difficult to get enough of every day, even with a healthy diet. I take Ritual vitamins, and even if I take it on an empty stomach... I don't feel sick afterward because their capsules have a no-nausea design. They are transparent about where they source their ingredients, and they have all the information right there on their website. For around $1 a day, it's delivered right to your door monthly. Try Ritual today because you will get an exclusive offer for 10% off your first three months. Visit Ritual.com dot com slash alyssa to start your ritual today that's ten percent off your first three months at ritual dot com slash alyssa so an important part of self care is making your home feel like home. We spend one-third of our lives in sheets, so they should be comfortable. And when you sleep, you should sleep well on hotel-quality sheets that don't cost hotel prices. And that's why I'm so thrilled to tell you about Linen Sheets, named the winner of the best online bedding category by Good Housekeeping. Brooklinen was founded in early 2014 by a husband and wife who wanted to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. I mean, did you know that most bedding is marked up as much as 300%? So they offer luxury sheets, towels, bedding, and more without the luxury markup. My Brooklinen sheets are the most comfortable sheets I've slept on, and their towels, they are so, so soft. Brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Get 10% off and free shipping when you use promo code ALYSSA at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all of their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. So the only way to get 10% off and free shipping is to use promo code Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A, at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N dot com. Promo code Alyssa. They really are the best sheets ever. Here's some of my conversation with my good, beautiful amazing friend, Jonathan Sheck, who shares his experience with sexual assault in the entertainment industry.
5: The Me Too stories made sense. And the thing that made sense was that someone had power over me in a different way, because physically, I'm a man. I was a tough kid. You know, I was I was brought up by a Baltimore City cop, and I was tough. I was yeah. brutal. So here I am in a situation with a, a director, and I couldn't under, identify when he, he came into the room he came over top of me and i froze i literally for i said no and Fight then i just
4: fro- left freeze, my body
5: right? and i couldn't i couldn't um i felt guilty i felt that it was my fault mm-hmm. until i got into brain spotting there. i realized what else was i going to do
4: Mm-mm.
0: there's nothing could there, there's nothing done. i
5: could have done if i would have hurt him i would have been in jail right Franco Zeffirelli is the guy who abused me. But no one ever told Franco that he shouldn't do that. Or maybe they did, but they did it in a way which they kind of went mm-hmm. around it. They didn't call it a crime. So when I'm dealing with all the, the Pope and everything uh, in this last drive of my life, with um, I identified Franco and the Pope in this photograph, and I realized here he is, 96 years old. He's still alive. He's hanging out with the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. Yeah. I was like, like there's what? No, what am there's I going to no do? Like wh- what is going on here? Penalty. And I realized that Franco Franco was molested when he was a boy in his in an orphanage by a priest. And he talks about it in his biography and I read that. And then when you really uh, dig when I dug deeper into it, it got to the point where I got people from the Vatican to look into this to see what that priest was because later on in Franco's life he had a lot of connection to the Catholic Church. And that priest, whether this is a corroboration or whether it's true, this is how deep it was. No matter what, Franco was molested when he was a boy. And later on in life he was given a career by Pope Paul the Sixth for making a movie called Jesus of Nazareth. And we've been able to trace Pope Paul the Sixth
0: to Come on.
5: Yeah. That's how deep that gets. It's in the culture. It's in the culture of the hierarchy of the Catholic Church.
0: Well, to I think advantage. it's in the culture it's in the culture right. everywhere.
6: The Me Too movement has encouraged me to share my own story. After nearly twenty years, I disclosed the fact that I had been raped multiple times when I was a young boy. It's been nearly a year after revealing this and things are still hard sometimes. You know, I am still realizing just how traumatic that experience was. And sometimes just thinking about what happened and what still remains from that time, it it's hard. But nonetheless, I know that by being able to share what happened, I am a stronger person today. I'm no longer ashamed of what happened to me because I know it's not my fault. And I know as the healing process continues, I will become stronger and stronger because I am a survivor.
3: I'd never told anybody about my rape experience. By the time Me Too hit, it had been a little over seven years since it happened, and I'd never told anyone except for my mother who didn't believe me. And so I just stayed silent. But when this hit, I gained the courage to tell my best friend. And through that, she helped encourage me to get counseling. So now I'm a much better person because of it I feel like I'm healed I don't still tell many people about it I've never even posted it online just because it's a very scary thing for me to admit to the world I'm still embarrassed about it sadly to say but you know it did help with my healing process and give me the strength to know that it is okay I can move forward and for that I'm just forever grateful
0: the me too movement for me as a woman not only helped me to be seen and heard and valued and believed But it also challenged
3: me internally. Prior to the Me Too movement, I thought that I was quote-unquote woke. I thought I was progressive and a feminist. And some of these issues that have been brought up within the Me Too movement have challenged my own privilege and my own biases. And made me grow not only as a person, but as myself in several different communities that I exist in.
2: So the Me Too movement has inspired me and encouraged me to talk about my trauma and help others with theirs. And I have talked to numerous people on Twitter, people I consider friends, and told them my story about how I was molested at five years old by my uncle and how my case got him registered as a sex offender and he can't go near children 16 and under. But the fact that that happened, it sucks that it happened, but I am now a part of change. And I always try to encourage people to talk about their trauma because in my personal experience, I know that by talking about it, it slowly whittles down that negative energy and those negative thoughts. And it gives you that power that was taken from you. And I always try to tell people that talking about it will be beneficial but don't force yourself only do it when you're ready
0: me too continues to change lives but it's important to remember that the reason me too is so powerful is that so many of our lives were changed for the worse Because of the sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexual discrimination, and other bad sex and gender-based behavior to which we were subjected, there is power in our stories and in our pain. Because of my part in popularizing Me Too in 2017 came in response to a monster who terrorized women in my industry, I want to use this anniversary to tell you my Hollywood Me Too story. I've shared my other Me Too story, um, but I have never shared this story publicly before. It's been almost 25 years, but it's still really hard to talk about. In the years that followed my time on Who's the Boss, I was working hard to break out of the box that my work as a child TV star was putting me in. At the time, this meant taking roles that had love scenes and sex scenes in them. And one of these movies had a sex scene between me and a man who is 17 years older than me. These things happen in my line of work. Almost always the older man with the younger woman. But professionals learn to manage this appropriately without pushing boundaries or breaking consent. And with a degree of trust that is oh so very important. Predators cannot. This man was not a professional. He took advantage of a moment of complete vulnerability, of literal exposure to put his hand under my underwear and try to force his fingers inside of me. He violated me on a set with cameras rolling. I froze, I ran hysterical to my trailer. I was crying and afraid and furious And the director of the movie, in the moment when I had just been sexually assaulted, confronted me with, I'm sorry, I don't know what you want me to do about it. Should I call the police? Now, the production was shut down while this was happening. People were waiting on me. The entire future of this movie in the middle of filming was on my shoulders while I was in a state of complete emotional turmoil. I felt trapped. I felt completely alone and unsupported by the leadership of that production. And ultimately, I felt pressured into going back onto the set and for another six hours continuing to shoot the scene with the man who had just sexually assaulted me. The predator who did this to me, this man who is in his 40s, sexually assaulted a woman in her 20s, is still in the business. And I gotta tell you, I almost named him today. I really want to name him. I want him to suffer some of the consequences that I still suffer from this assault. I, I want him to feel the anxiety and panic that I feel when I go onto a set. I want him to experience his world crashing down around him the way mine did around me. I wanted to undo some of the injustices I was faced with in the moments after it happened. But the barriers to reporting are huge. This predator has a wife and kids, and I don't want to victimize them more than he probably already has. I don't want to put the very good people who are there with me on that production in the spotlight, forced to speak out publicly on a matter that was so private. And frankly, I don't want to risk my own career or my financial stability should this predator try to sue me. I don't want to be victimized again for telling the truth about this man who by the way, continues to act on very visible productions. Now, this is not how this should be. I shouldn't be the one fearing consequences. Christine Ford should not have been torn apart for telling the truth. Anita Hill should not have been publicly criticized and humiliated for telling her story. No woman who has had to bear the pain of sexual assault should ever have to bear more for telling the truth about it. And yet we do. And I think this is such an important part of where Me Too has to go next. And yes, we are making progress. We are pushing our culture in a new direction, but we're not there yet. Victims still usually bear greater consequences for coming forward than the criminals they report. Brett Kavanaugh, Is on the Supreme Court for now. Donald Trump is president for now. And the man who I might still name is working in my industry for now. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Sim Sarna and Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our supervising producer is Allison Bresnik. It's edited by Josh Windisch. Music by Josh Cook and Alicia Eagle. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry Not Sorry. Hey, just a reminder, if you haven't ordered your ritual essentials, head over to ritual.com slash Alyssa to start your ritual today. You'll get 10% off your first three months at ritual.com slash Alyssa.